Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are in the book of Revelation and we are in chapter 5 tonight. I'm looking forward to us uh, going through that and now we are picking up the pace a little bit. We went through chapter 4 last week, chapter 5 tonight. I'm going to talk about a sealed scroll. If you remember last week, uh, the vision of Revelation 4 and 5 go together. Um, The emphasis of Revelation 4 is how God is worshipped as our creator. And he is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise for the simple fact that he is our maker and our creator. But then in Revelation 5, we have an even greater reason to worship God and to praise his name and to thank him. And uh, we'll get to that. I want to kind of start tonight the way I did last week with Revelation 4. I actually started by reading a psalm. Last week I read Psalm 24, the first six verses. I won't read those again, but I will continue to finish that psalm, which is verse 7 through 10. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is He, this King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. And that got me to thinking of uh, Mac Powell, lead singer of Third Day, a Christian rock group that sang a song called King of Glory. It says something like this. The lyrics are, Who is this King of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken words? My conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need. Who is this King of glory who offers it to me? And of course the chorus is, His name is Jesus, precious Jesus, the Lord Almighty, the King of my heart, the King of glory. And as I was researching that, I actually found a poem. And I don't normally read poems, but I thought this was worthy enough to share it with you. And I don't know who wrote this. It says unknown. But here is a poem, and it's entitled, Who is this King of glory? It says, All of the power of heaven and earth God had invested in him. He's to die on the cross, descend into hell, meet the devil, and take the keys from him. So he yielded himself to the death on the cross, cried it's finished, and bowed to die. In the regions of hell, the devil celebrated. We destroyed the king, he cried. In the midst of the celebration, footsteps were heard. Walking the corridors of hell, the shouting stopped. When a voice rang out, it was a voice that rang like a bell. Satan trembled as he recognized him, who came to deliver his own. Oh, shut and lock the gates, he cried. Don't let him ascend to his throne. So the gate swung shut in the face of the king to prove God's salvation untrue. But he shook hell's gates and cried, Lift up your heads, the king is coming through. So out of the devil's prison house went a procession led by the king, shouting, Now, O grave, where is your victory? And where, O death, thy sting? Who is this king of glory? The Lord God, mighty in battle, is he. 
Who is the King of glory, maker of heaven and earth supreme? Who is the King of glory, the one that not even death could stop? Who is this King of glory while he's the babe in the manger and the little boy from the carpenter shop? His name is Jesus. Uh, we're going to see Jesus in a beautiful light tonight in Revelation chapter 5. And it may not be what you think. So let's look at uh, Revelation 5. And to set this up, I'll say this, Herschel Hobbes, he says this chapter, Revelation 5, is a continuation of the vision that began in Revelation 4. Revelation 4 presents the sovereignty of God in the universe. Okay, He's creator and, and maker. And Revelation 5 presents the redemptive work of God in Christ. He is our Redeemer. And so I want to share three things about why Jesus is our Redeemer. Number one, He is exclusively worthy. So look in Revelation 5, we'll read the first five verses. John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now you might say, what is this scroll about? A um, couple of things I'll share about that. Herschel uh, Hobbes says it's the role of history. It, God is the God of history. And it shows the work of God in the context of human history. And it's seen through the redemptive purpose of God in Christ. And I love what Hobbes says. He says, and this is so fitting of what we're going through in our country right now. He says, regardless of what evil men and nations may do, God is working out His purpose of redemption. In a given moment in history, it may seem that Satan is, that Satan is sovereign, but in the light of history, as a whole, it's clear that God works in all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Just remember that. Uh, G.K. Beale said this, this book is best understood as containing God's plan of judgment and redemption that is now set in motion by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, that is true. Uh, Dennis... Uh, Dennis Johnson makes a good comment here. He says, when you look at how Jesus is described, uh, he's referred to as the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And uh, if you go back in your Old Testament, when Israel, Jacob's name you know, was changed to Israel, when he bestowed a final blessing on his sons, he compared Judah to being a lion, and he foresaw... He predicted that uh, the, a line of royal dynasty would come from Judah's line. And then when David was selected to be the next king after Saul, uh, that set that prophecy in motion because David came from the line of Judah or the tribe of Judah. And though the exile ultimately happened after Solomon's uh, 
reign of the kingdom divided and then a few a few you know go on down the line a little bit then the the they were removed from the promised land the holy land at one point there when the exiles were taken to babylon it might have seemed like david's dynasty had been cut off like a tree that had been uh, chopped down leaving just a stump and a root and that's why isaiah prophesied in isaiah chapter 11 that from the stump of Jesse would come a root. And it did. And that prophecy points to Jesus. And when you get to the New Testament, very first statement in the New Testament, first book, Matthew, first chapter, one, first verse, Matthew 1, 1, it says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay? So Jesus' human lineage goes through the root of Jesse being a son of David and the tribe of Judah being a son of Abraham. Okay, May no, Make no mistake that when the New Testament starts with that line, it's saying, hello, something has happened here. And so when you see how Jesus is exclusively worthy of being our Redeemer, you see that he is the one that the Bible speaks of. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. And he has conquered so that he is able to approach the throne and take the scroll and open the seals. No one else is worthy. He's the only one who is worthy. Not only is Jesus exclusively worthy, because he's the only one that fits that criteria, but he's exceedingly worthy. Look, if you will, in Revelation 5, verse 6 and 7. Now, this is where it gets really good. Because at this point, he keeps weeping. John is weeping because he sees this hopeless situation. Here is the one on the throne with a, a, a scroll with writing on both sides and seven seals. And nobody in heaven, nobody in earth, nobody under the earth, Nobody in all of creation is able to do anything about it. And he begins to weep. And then the elder comes to him and says, Listen, don't weep. There is one, a lion from the tribe of Judah, who has conquered. He's the one that will do it. And then, in verse 6, I saw one like a lion... No, it's not what it says, is it? John says, And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. You didn't see that coming, did you? I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, uh, sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Now this is very interesting. You see, John was looking for a lion, and instead he saw a lamb. And this is a pivotal moment in the book of Revelation because John is going to use the word lamb, okay, 29 times in the book of Revelation to refer to and point to the crucified Christ, okay? Like a, a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, okay? Uh, he, he is the lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus. That's why we call him the Lamb. Um, 
Also, I want you to see something else that's going on here because this, I want you to see it, I want you to see this pattern because as we continue to go through Revelation, you're going to see this pattern again. So I, I need to point it out to you now. Uh, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and the very first vision that John had of Jesus Christ, if you'll remember, he heard in chapter 1, he heard a trumpet-like voice. And then when he turned to see where the voice was coming from, he saw a son of man walking among the seven uh, lampstands. Uh, in other words, he heard one thing and he went to look and he saw something else. And here again in Revelation 5, the disclosure of Jesus' identity begins with what is heard. He's, heard, he's, he's told he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then when he turns to see, he sees a lamb standing as if it's been slaughtered or slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so what does this say about Jesus? It says that he's a redeeming lamb. He had been slaughtered. Notice it says, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Um, it, 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 it shows the scars, if you will of His death and crucifixion, okay? Uh, he is a resurrected Lamb because now He's there in the midst of the throne standing, okay? He, he was dead, but now He's alive and He lives forevermore. So He's a, a redeeming Lamb. He is a resurrected Lamb. And now He is a reigning Lamb because He's right there at the throne and He's the only one worthy to approach the throne and take the scroll and break the seals. That's authority. He is a reigning lamb. He is omnipotent. That means that he is all-powerful. If you look at the description there, he had seven horns. Horns represent a power. Seven, the number seven represents perfection. So he is all-powerful with the seven horns. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing because of the seven eyes. He sees everything. And He is omnipresent. Okay, He's everywhere. He can be anywhere at any time. And that is the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Notice how it says the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth, omnipresent. And so what a powerful picture we have here of the lion who is actually a lamb. Amazing, huh? So Jesus is exclusively worthy. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll and break the seals. He is exceedingly worthy as the redeeming, resurrected, reigning lamb of God. And now we're going to see in the rest of this chapter how he is eternally worthy. Look, if you will, in verse 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
Notice that this, this song that is mentioned in the second half of Revelation 5 has three refrains. We just read the first one there in verses 8 through 10. There are four living creatures that have already been mentioned around the throne. There are 24 elders, and they begin to worship the Lamb. They uh, sing this song, You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. Okay, You died. You gave your life. You purchased people by your own blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I love that. Um, so that is the first refrain. The second refrain begins in verse 11, and now it includes even more people participating in this praise and worship. Okay, In verse 11, he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Notice those are seven attributes there. Now we have the four living creatures, the 24 elders plus thousands and thousands of angels exclaiming praise to the Lamb. And then the third refrain of this song in verse 13, And I heard every creature in earth, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so now this third refrain, you have every creature, all of creation, exclaiming, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Um, that reminds me of what Philippians 2 says, and also what Romans 14, 11 says, and I'll, I'll read the Romans 14, 11. It says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. There will be a day when the most hardened sinner, the most hardened atheist, will have to bow the knee and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen, okay? And uh, God's Word declares it to be so, and it is true. And so there will be a day when all of creation recognizes that He alone is God. He is our Creator and our Maker. He is our Redeemer, and He's the only one worthy of our worship and our praise. Now, with that said, this makes me want to preach now. I mean, if this don't get you excited, then there's something wrong with your, you know, your your gut or something. But but I'll I'll bring this kind of home now. What should we do? I mean, this is a beautiful scene in heaven, and it sets the stage for every else everything else begins to happen on the earth and you'll you'll see the judgments and you'll go man it's getting awful 
man, it's getting bad. What's going on? It looks like it's crazy. It looks like it's so chaotic. Never doubt God is in control. God is on the throne. God is the Lord of all history, and He's winding this world up, and one of these days it will come to an end, and it will all end at the throne of God. All I can tell you tonight is, based on this passage in Revelation 5, the wise thing to do for all of us is to surrender to Christ before it's too late. I want to uh, take a moment, I guess, to share the gospel. And I know it's the old story, but it's the story to me that never gets old. And uh, in Romans 1, we're told that God, uh, God's eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. And as a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude and their thinking uh, instead their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man birds animals and reptiles that's why we're in the mess we're in is somewhere along the way we turned our back on God, we exchanged the truth for a lie, we began to worship creatures rather than the Creator, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in. And that's why the indictment comes in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only hope we have is in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've always loved that verse because it draws a stark contrast between a wage, something you earn, and a gift, something that you freely receive. Sin pays a wage, and when you sin, you earn death. Because you sinned, you deserve to die. Sin pays, pays a wage. And when you receive a wage, it's because you worked for it. You earned it. Therefore, you deserve it. And when we sin, it leads to death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And I don't know about you, but a gift is something that we can only humbly receive. It's not something that uh, we can earn. It's not something that we deserve a gift is freely given, and it's freely received, and that's what God does for us through Christ. He extends to us the, the gift of eternal life. And even though the gift is free for us, it was with great cost because notice what Revelation 5 says. He says, you were slaughtered because you purchased people for God by your blood. Okay, Jesus purchased people for God by his own blood, by laying down his life on the cross. And that's why Romans 5, 8 says that God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I love Romans 5, 8 too because every time I think of it and, and read it and quote it, it, it speaks to me because God does love us and he's, he proved it when he sent Jesus 
into this world to die on the cross for our sins. And so, if you ever wonder, does God love me? Yes, He does. And He doesn't say, come to church and clean up your life, try hard and do better. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, come to me. Come to me. Okay, And when you come to Christ just as you are, like the hymn says, just as I am, when you come to Him just as you are, you'll realize that He loves you, that even when you were a sinner and you didn't care about Him and you never even thought about Him, He knew you would need Him and He sent His Son to die on the cross for you anyway, long before you even knew you, you had a need. And that's why in Romans 10... The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't you love that? I love how practical and, and, and simple the Bible is. This is not hard. If you want to be saved, if you realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior and that Savior's name is Jesus, then if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. It says one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know, tonight, maybe God's speaking to someone. And maybe He's talking to you. Maybe He's calling your name. When He calls your name, it's a personal call directly to you. And it's up to you on whether or not you'll respond. But the Bible declares that everyone, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like one old preacher used to say, God doesn't have any grandkids. And that's so true. Your daddy might be a Christian. Your mama might be a Christian. And all your friends might be a Christian. But it's a personal relationship with Christ. You can't claim it by proxy. You have to personally call out to the name of the Lord yourself. And He will never turn away anyone who comes to Him. And so when you come to Him like a child in simple faith and trust, and you say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need to be saved and I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on that cross for my sins, that you rose again on the third day and I want to come to you and trust you and follow you and give you my life. I believe he will receive you just like that. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So to wind this up tonight, I guess I've got two questions. And one of them is going to apply to all of us. At least one of them will. One is, have you been redeemed? Jesus is our Redeemer. He is the only one worthy to open the scroll and break the seals. He's the only one worthy to reign with the Father. Notice there at the very end in verse 13, uh, the ever creature says, Blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Now the Lamb is reigning with the Father forever and ever. Have you been redeemed? Jesus shed His blood to purchase people for God. He gave His life 
so that anyone could be saved if they're willing to come to Him just as they are in simple, childlike trust and faith. And if you have took that step tonight, then my prayer and my challenge is this. Will you praise your Redeemer? You know, we can start warming up for heaven right now, can't we? We don't have to wait to that moment when all of creation starts focusing on God and worshiping Him. If, if we got plenty of reasons to worship God right now. We can start with creation. The fact that you're made in the image of God, uh, you can worship Him because He made you. But oh my goodness, if you've been saved, you can go even further along that path and say, He's not only my Creator and my Maker, He is my Redeemer. And because He shed His own blood to purchase my salvation, I now am part of the kingdom of God. And I now get to be with Him forever. And so you begin praise your redeemer and it's my prayer tonight that you will certainly do that um, moving forward next week we will be in chapter six i'm not sure exactly where i'll draw the lines yet i may do the whole chapter i may not we'll see but now this vision begins to become a video and it's in live motion you might say now that he alone is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, the seals now, all seven of them, one at a time, began to be opened on the scroll. And each time a seal is broken, something happens. And that's what's next in chapter 6. We'll look at that next week. If you want to study ahead, you can. And I can't wait to see what happens next in this book we call Revelation that reminds us that there is a God in heaven. He is on the throne. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. And one day he will rule and reign forever. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time in your word. I pray, Lord, that you will use the scriptures to capture our minds and our hearts that as we struggle in this world and in this life, may we look up to you, may we look forward in faith and realize that you are on the throne, that you alone are worthy of all worship, honor, glory, and praise. And Father, we offer that to you tonight. Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who was slaughtered and shed his blood to purchase our salvation. Lord, we give you praise for now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.